Hello, everyone, and welcome to the America in Focus podcast, powered by the Center Square. America in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square Newswire service. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. Joining me today is Casey Harper, the Center Square's Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief. How are you, Casey? Doing great, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well. Because of the New Year's holiday uh, coming up, we are recording this podcast a day early this week. It is Thursday, December 29th. Casey, we're about to close the books on 2022 between 40-year high inflation, all-time high gas prices in June, the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade and state responses to that, continued record illegal immigration at the southern border, the midterm elections, and so many other stories I could name. It's been a pretty busy year. Any stories in particular that you've covered that stand out? Wow, you're right. This uh, It seems like every news cycle since 2015, I think that that was like a watershed year when Trump announced his presidency. Every news cycle since then has just been uh, at a breakneck pace, and this year has been no different. I think my favorite thing has been some of the more investigative work we've done at thecentersquare.com. I've written a lot this year about uh, a pretty controversial topic, which is critical race theory. Um, and I tried to play it, you know, um, pretty down the middle, but just point out that something as controversial as CRT is being funded at pretty significant levels by the federal government, by the tax dollars of the people listening to this podcast right now. So an example would be a story um, from February this year where we found out we were the first um, and really the only to report this, which is that the Department of Education was giving millions of dollars uh, to a Florida based education program that was training teachers in critical race theory. Right. And this was about, I think back in February, there's a little bit more in the conversation. Uh, there was more talk about, you know, the, the scandals at school boards and all those kinds of things. And one of the big arguments um, was that, Hey, this is like not really a thing that's affecting kids. This is something that's taught at an academic level um, for, for, you know, PhD students. But what we found in our reporting is that actually teachers who were going to teach kids were being um, trained in this. And, and not only that, they was being funded by taxpayers. So that, that's one of my favorite stories from the year, just um, following the money, trying to cover the taxpayer perspective, uh, as we always do. I remember that. That was re- really good reporting on your part. Um, several other investigative stories you did this year. But between your investigative pieces, Casey, and those big news stories that I mentioned up top, SCOTUS and Roe v. Wade, inflation, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're reporting on all of those topics. Uh, None of those were your top performing story uh, of 2022. I I think you know what really, I think you know what your top 20 top uh, uh, story of 2022 was uh, from a traffic standpoint. You remember what that Mm, story was? Well, I only judge my stories based on, on how you view them, Dan, not based on traffic, as you know, but I, I think I could guess, but go ahead and tell me. I think I know which one it is. It really wouldn't have been a news story um, without the person saying who who said it. Um, being mm-hmm. the president of the uh, the United States, he's a newsmaker. Uh, he sent essentially during a speech. <laughs> <laughs> during a speech in July, uh, he made a a verbal gaffe when he said he had cancer, uh, and that's yes. that sent the media world and the. Uh, Biden's handlers, his spokespeople, into a bit of a frenzy, having to clarify that President Biden in the past had cancer, but that he was right. recovered from cancer. Um, but uh, you were one of the first to report that. 
alive while the uh, press conference was still going on. And that story just went viral on the center square.com. Yeah. And we, we did not make something out of that, that it wasn't. I mean, I think some news outlets didn't report it. I think they weren't actually watching the speech in real time like we were, but I, and I, in the story I made clear, you know, Hey, Biden has a history of saying things that aren't true, but this is what he said. And we didn't make, we didn't add to it. We didn't like, it wasn't like his words were jumbled and we kind of interpreted it a wrong way. He said he had cancer. And so we said, well, Biden says he has cancer, but by the way, Biden, there's a good chance Biden misspoke because uh, lately that's pretty common for him. But yeah, I mean, we, that blew through our, blew through the traffic uh, roof for sure. (laughs) Well, so uh, all the, all the other work that you did, none of that really mattered. Oh, right. So this was all a buildup to discourage me about my hard hitting. (laughs) All my investigative stories combined can't uh, combine to one Biden gaffe. That's how you're trying to finish this year off. (laughs) I just think, you know, whatever. I think it's fun. (laughs) Yeah, that's a yes. Okay, got it. Not not that uh, not that Biden having cancer, which he did not, does not, uh, is funny. Um, Just that it was a gaffe story that uh, that folks flocked to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's actually some news to talk about this week. Oh, uh, thank goodness. What's that? <laughs> thank goodness. Um, one of the stories of the week of the holiday season has been just this complete crisis at Southwest Airlines, leaving hundreds of thousands of people stranded, canceling thousands and thousands of flights. What's going on? Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people have been wondering that for several days. I mean, I actually always fly Southwest. And this is the one holiday that we did not travel. We did not fly for Christmas. And I'm very grateful we did it. But uh, just I'll put it this way. Southwest earlier this week said that they had canceled on Monday 70% of the flights at peak holiday travel season. Other days, the number was maybe 60% or 50%. But there was a kind of perfect storm in some senses, literally. Uh, but there was a big polar vortex which came through you know, of course, you know, people are aware of that. Some many of our listeners probably uh, had to deal with that. I think in Buffalo, New York, they had like four feet of snow. I mean, you saw some pretty incredible things. Um, on top of that, though, you know, Southwest says they had some staffing issues. I've seen some employee accounts dispute that. But it seems like the big problem was the computer system at Southwest just had a meltdown. And in a time when they were having to rebook just, you know, thousands of flight itineraries, uh, they were having to do it oftentimes manually because the computer system just wasn't able to operate at the full clip they needed, um, especially with this extra stuff. So people were stranded. I mean, we're talking days in um, airports. I, I personally you know, have a friend who had to wait in line on who was flying home on Christmas Eve. They waited in line at three hours at the ticket counter to rebook their flight only to be told almost immediately that there was no flights available for like four days. You know, so from that location to their destination. That's great. So they just didn't go home for Christmas. Uh, and the idea of waiting three hours in a line just to be told um, you can leave in four days, you know, it's, it's crazy to me. So I think, you know, a lot of people's Christmases were ruined. Um, Southwest has really apologized publicly and said that they're going to reimburse people um, or reimburse a lot of people now the degree to, to which that happens and the parameters for those who, you know, to get that and how much money that's all, we'll, we'll kind of figure out how above board that all is. But no, no doubt. A lot of people had a pretty unhappy Christmas. I'm sure I feel for, uh, for all those travelers who were stranded, either couldn't get to their destinations before Christmas or couldn't get home. Um, after Christmas, Southwest issued a statement today 
saying they expect to be back to normal um, in time for this weekend. They expect minimal disruptions. I guess we'll see. You got to wonder how this week is going to affect Southwest long term. Uh, they're building. Mm-hmm. Didn't this happen last year? The same similar thing. No, not yeah. just with Southwest. Last year it was it was everybody. Um, right. Um, we were still in. Um, COVID, there were um, uh, walkouts by uh, airline staff, there was bad weather, all that combined led to not anything near what, what Southwest was at this week, but it led to a lot of airline cancellations last year. Yeah. Did you know anyone who was impacted by this or did, did it hit you? It did not hit me, thankfully. My uh, my in-laws flew in from Texas with my daughter. My daughter goes to school, um, to college in Texas, and they flew in, they planned to fly in together. Um, their flight was um, their flight was delayed by about two hours, um, but they thankfully made it here. Of course, they made it in here when it was snowing and like forty mile per hour winds, um, uh, but they made it and they made it back. So all's good there. Well, glad to hear that. Glad to hear. Another big story this week, um, Casey, that uh, you wrote about the new tw- Twitter files um, dump from Elon Musk. Uh, the new owner uh, and CEO of Twitter. This one had to do with Twitter's censoring of anything really um, uh, that, that anyone who was pushing back about back against COVID nineteen mandates and vaccines and whatnot. Tell us about this one. Yeah, I mean, you know, you often make fun of me a little bit, tease me because I like to pat us, pat myself, and uh, on the centersquare dot com on the back. But I think this is one of those stories where our coverage. Again, I'll do it again here. I think we are covering it where a lot of mainstream outlets are not. And we can go into some of the reasons for, for why that is. But a lot of mainstream media outlets have have ignored this story in a pretty um, pretty significant way. But uh, the background is that billionaire and Tesla uh, you know, owner Elon Musk has taken over Twitter, as is no secret to anyone. And he's released a, done this basically steady stream of document dumps, releasing information of what's been going on behind the scenes at Twitter for several years. I mean, the company like other social media companies has been embroiled in a lot of scandals. Um, there was a lot of questions over how they influenced the 2020 presidential elections by basically shadow banning or entirely restricting the Hunter Biden story, a story that was largely um, vindicated after the fact. And there's more investigations into those allegations now, but it was, you know, banned and called misinformation at the, right before the election. And then later it seems like that probably wasn't the case after all. So there's been a lot of, um, controversy, a lot of scandals around social media companies. Twitter has been top of the list on that. And so uh, this new set of Twitter files that came out um, on Monday really dealt more with COVID and how the conversation around COVID was handled by these social media companies. And what they found was, and what these Twitter files allege, of course, the Biden administration has pushed back on this. But what it says is the Biden administration worked closely with Twitter to control the conversation around COVID. And re- the Biden administration really pushed to have um, accounts shut down that were skeptical of you know, the vaccine in particular. And the Twitter really worked with these companies. Uh, we worked with the Biden administration on this. So you know, this is more evidence uh, back, backing up some of the collusion between the Biden administration and these social media companies. Um some of what was maybe called conspiracy theory or people would say, you know, you're blowing this out of proportion. Um, but the more and more data comes out, the more and more it seems like what seemed obvious is being vindicated um, by by more and more evidence. Yeah, through and, these Twitter and, and you're right. The mainstream media has seemed to disappear uh, for the most part 
uh, on this story. Anything um, that can be criticized of Elon Musk, they'll jump right on. Um, but when you look at you know at, at, at this information that they were essentially shadow banning uh, on their the site, the mainstream media. Just it's not a news story, I guess they they don't think. I don't I don't know what's going on there. Um, but well, I think. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I think you know. All I know a lot of journalists here in DC, and they all have these kind of narratives in their head, and they have you know a few issues they really care about, and they have narratives of how things are and how things should go. And when news breaks, it doesn't fit into their preconceived narratives. Often they just don't cover it, or they cover it in a way that makes it fit into their narrative that they are trying to. Um, they're trying to push. They, they just see all the news through a lens of the way they think the country is going, the way the country should go, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. And to so many DC journalists, Elon Musk is now a bad guy for you know a, a many different reasons. And they think that uh, tech companies and the Biden administration are, are mostly good. And even if they did this, I think most of the DC journalists I know would say that uh, they did it for good reason. And so they're just going to kind of let it slide. They think the COVID um, censorship was good and, and maybe it shouldn't happen, but hey, uh, they wanted to save lives or whatever. And so they're just going to kind of let the slide. It was the holidays. We'll just let this story go. Yeah, just like during the height of COVID when when there were plenty of detractors of the mitigation efforts that were put in place, the, the sh- shutdowns, the remote learning, mandated remote learning um, at schools, and then later on the vaccines mm-hmm. and the vaccine uh, mandates. Mainstream media largely just talked to one side of that issue and, and, and didn't talk to the detractors um, or didn't give them anywhere near as much um, space in newspapers or on websites or play on TV or radio. Um, so right. it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. I mean, are we expecting more Twitter files, dumps? Definitely. I think more details are coming. I think there's going to be uh, more and more of this coming out. Uh, and it's really spur- spurring and egging on congressional investigations into this. So the House Oversight Committee has already said they're going to be looking into Twitter censorship of the Biden um, administration's role in censorship. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about this and reported on it at the centersquare.com, but the Department of Homeland Security, uh, if you remember, Dan, they had a whole portal where they could um, report things that fit to Facebook that they wanted censored. So this isn't just like, you know, one rogue FBI agent or something. This was a um, across federal law enforcement, working with multiple social media companies. So the investigations are coming. You know, some of these House investigations, though, can be kind of weak. And what can they really do? I don't know. So it, it's something that uh, is keeping this story alive. And if a Republican president does get in office in a couple of years, then they would have the power to maybe really do something substantive. But until then, it's just kind of uh, unveiling what happened. Lawmakers are staying on top of it. Uh, and we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. Thank you. Let's uh, move on, though, Casey. Another really big story this week um, with the ongoing crisis at the U.S. southern border with Mexico. Um, millions of uh, illegal border crossings last fiscal year um, alone. The U.S. Supreme Court stepped in and weighed in on a Biden administration plan to end what's called Title 42, which is a Trump era um, health authority or health care policy that essentially allowed border a- agents to quickly dispel, expel migrants who entered the country illegally for fear of them spreading COVID-19. Right. The Biden administration planned to end Title 42 enforcement last week. A number of states um, sued. The Supreme Court stepped in and said, hold on, not so fast. You, you can't end Title 42 yet. So it puts put a pause on the end of Title 42 enforcement, at least until a February hearing. What's going on here? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you said a lot of it, but it, it's uh, the court in February is going to hear this. And so I think there was kind of this perception maybe that the Supreme Court had totally decided this issue and sided with Trump. And that's not the case. It's a, it's a temporary victory for um, the Trump, you know, Trump folks, Trump's those who have Trump views on immigration, um, those on the right. So, but this is still a very much up in the air issue. Um, it's just a temporary victory for them for the next, you know, next few months. And so, uh, of course the Supreme court has been unafraid to, to wade into some of these, um, pretty tense issues. Of course, um, you mentioned the, the overturn of Roe v. Wade, which was a historic decision. We've seen them take some, um, rule in favor of conservatives on, on religious liberty issues recently. Uh, so they've taken on a lot of big things. Even one justice talked about uh, overturning um, Obergefell. So I don't, I don't think that's really likely in the short term. But, you know, this court um, has taken on big issues. And of course, as we know, the, the southern border crisis is one of the most gridlocked issues. I mean, we've had some good reporting at the centerswear.com uh, about some of the illegal immigration numbers that were uh, at the southern border um, in fiscal year or the, in this year um, in fiscal 2022. So this is, um, you know, o- over 800,000 people were um, apprehended or got away from law enforcement after legally entering Arizona alone, for example, just Arizona had um, getting close to a million people. I mean, we saw 300,000, the same in California and uh, getting close to 2 million in Texas. Right. So we have, you know, one state alone getting 2 million people. I mean, there's <laughs> that's bigger than almost every city in Texas. And right? going back Go to the mainstream media, highly critical of Governor Greg Abbott's for it's Texas Governor Greg Abbott's example, for example, his um, his busing uh, migrants to so-called sanctuary cities in the north, Chicago, Washington, D.C., right. um, New York City, Philadelphia, um, highly critical of that. And the mayors of those communities were receiving them highly, highly critical of Governor Abbott's. Um, uh, essentially a plan to, to remove some of these migrants from his state, the border communities in his state. But when you look at the raw numbers, you said that almost 2 million um, apprehensions in Texas alone and these northern uh, uh, mayors uh, say they can't handle the thousand, a few thousand that are being bused to their cities. Right. I mean, Abbott did take a lot of flack for that. Uh, I think he was cheered by a lot in his base. So I'm not sure how that all shake out for him politically. I think I I understand why people were kind of critical of his decision to bus migrants to certain places. But um, if you look at it from his perspective, he's in emergency mode. I mean, this I think for from his perspective, this is a cry for help, a cry for attention on this issue, because you can't have two million people coming to your country every year. Uh, and not address it and not have the infrastructure in place to deal with it. Um, border border patrol is totally overrun. They can't process these people. There's no paperwork. Um, you know, they don't have the resources for it. They're, it's even the people that they do catch, they just release them back in the country usually. And uh, they're supposed to show back up for a court date. They almost never do show up for that court date. The data on that is pretty clear. So the system is totally broken. And the border states, there's a handful, a few border states who have to deal with all the consequences of that. And the vast majority of states don't really think too much about it. Um, and it's not a major, you know, top five political issue for them the way it is in Arizona, Texas, and even in California at times. So uh, it is becoming more of a nationwide issue because of things like what Abbott is doing. And then, of course, fentanyl, which we've talked about on this podcast. I mean, fentanyl overdoses have really soared. It's a really tragic thing. Uh, fentanyl has got basically snuck into a lot of different drugs and have people... Uh, people are just overdosing on it left and right because they don't, 
you know, they don't have any dosages for it. They don't, they're very sensitive to it. And it is a very dangerous drug. So overdoses around the country have um, soared because of, because of the illegal immigration. But other than fentanyl, it's really kind of a regional issue that is finally now getting some more national attention because of the Supreme Court, because of this Title 42 ruling. Um, and what I think does make it you know, worthy of the Supreme Court taking up is there is a bit of a constitutional crisis here in my mind, because there's clear laws on the books that Congress has passed regarding immigration. And uh, Democratic uh, executives, both you know, mayors, governors, and of course, the president in this case, are often just refusing to enforce the law or purposely not enforcing the law um, that was passed by Congress. And so if you look at it as a strict um, separation of powers, you know, the president's job is to the executive branch's job is to enforce the laws passed by Congress, not to change the laws or to change policies um, to, to fit more of a political agenda. Now, both Republicans and Democrats always do that. They always do change policies and, and change how they enforce things to fit their political views. Um, but it's in a pretty drastic way uh, when it comes to immigration. It's probably the most drastic example of how that's enforcement is um, different based on political views. And so now it's finally going to the Supreme Court. So we'll see if they just rule on Title 42 or if they kind of more broadly expand on this topic. But I'm definitely going to be watching it. Yeah, one one interesting facet of that story that we didn't touch on, I just want to mention it, um, is that it was uh, the Supreme Court ruled um, five to four this week to halt the Biden administration's plan to end Title 42 enforcement. Um, but uh, among the four the dissenters, one was conservative Justice Neil uh, Gorsuch. So it'll be interesting to see um, when there's a hearing before the Supreme Court in February, you know, if it, what, what kind of questions he asks of both sides. Uh, uh, on this. Time for one last story, um, Casey. Um, President Biden signed an executive order giving federal employees what you would see, think would be as a pretty pretty decent pay bump, 4.6% increase. Most years, most employees would be happy with a 4.6% um, pay increase. I know you're probably excluded from that. You expect right. something above that. But most people would be happy with a 4.6% pay raise. But because of 40-year high inflation, um, it doesn't even keep up with the costs, the rising costs of things like food and, and other goods and services. Yeah, well, I mean, I am working these 80-hour weeks, so maybe that's why I'm a little bit – Casey, I believe you know, this is the first unique. time you and I talked this week. Haven't you been off all week? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, yeah. Dan, our listeners, Dan wanted me to write up a couple stories on Christmas morning. Um, he, oh, woke, he woke me at 4 a.m. Uh -huh. to try to put me to work. But I Casey, we I quickly, tell the truth in, in American uh, I quickly contacted the Department of Labor. So there's going to be a follow up with that. But uh, anyway, yeah, as you said, Biden gave federal employees a major raise, uh, you know, 4.6 percent pay increase. That's 4.1 percent just as a strict raise and then half a percent as a cost of living adjustment. Now, if you just read the other mainstream media outlets, they didn't even cover this hardly. Or if they did, they wrote wrote up that employees got a raise. But I just uh, wanted to point out with this story that it doesn't keep even keep close to keeping pace with inflation. And this is very much at Biden's discretion how much this raise is. Um, last year, it was it was 2.7% raise. And this year, he raised it up pretty significantly. And, you know, maybe federal employees are, are happy with that. Of course, it's better than 2.7% and definitely better than nothing. Of course, the taxpayer is getting a better deal that the raise doesn't keep pace with inflation. But I thought it was interesting that, um, one, the, the fact that Biden almost doubled 
you know, not quite doubled, but almost got in that neighborhood of doubling the raise from last year is really an acknowledgement of how bad inflation is. Uh, so that's that's one point. But then even with almost doubling it, uh, it still didn't keep pace. So the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics latest consumer price index shows that prices, consumer prices have risen 7.1% in the previous 12 months. Um, so other things like groceries have risen like 12%, right? So um, inflation is not hurting you as long as you don't buy groceries, Dan, you're fine. So I guess as long as these federal employees don't buy groceries, they'll be, they'll be good to go. You know, um, so, I, you know, this is interesting. It's not keeping pace with inflation, but it is, it is a, a probably a welcome, welcome raise for a lot of employees. Casey, a light just went on as you were discussing um, this story. I now realize, mm, that, I, I now realize that you took the approach that you did um, with this story covering the raise from the inflationary standpoint, aren't you going to be perhaps maybe up for a raise early next year? Were you just trying to put that thought in my head? Hey, federal employees got four point six percent, but it doesn't. Um, it doesn't even. Well, I was really hoping you would remember that twelve percent grocery number. Actually, that's the one I keep trying to bring up. Speaking of growth, <laughs> we only we, briefly. You're working on a story for the weekend on the price of groceries, the price of food during this inflation. The last two years, as inflation has soared. Um, tell, just give us a brief tease. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this inflation. Uh, I, I'm writing about the how food prices have risen in the last year, how it's impacted Americans, and what hope or relief we can hope for in 2023. Um, spoiler alert: It doesn't look too good for 2023. Things might stop getting worse so quickly, but as far as going back to where they were or seeing a um, quick resolution, there's not a lot of hope for that. There, there are a few things that could happen, but right now it doesn't look likely. All right, that is all the time we have this week. Casey, Happy New Year to you. A Happy New Year to all of our listeners. For Casey Harper, I'm Dan McCaleb. We'll talk to you next week.